The top flight domestic season is over and after months of hard graft and pressure, the players are ready for a well-earned... Sorry, what? Oh, they're playing this week. Oh, oh, right. Okay. So they'll get a break after the... Oh, next week as well. Oh, right. Okay. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. The football doesn't stop and nor does my squad of top tipsters, but I have allowed most of them a break apart from the main man, Mark O'Hare. He has been given a national team call up for this one. Mark, before we get on to the international football that we've got coming up in the next few days, just a word on that Champions League final. Lots of focus has been on the appalling policing and organisation. I don't want to talk about that here because that's a forum for elsewhere. But this run that Real Madrid went on, all the way through the tournament, it seemed we said, surely this will be the time they go out, or this will be the time, or this will be the time. But this is a group of incredibly well-coached, incredibly experienced players, and they have shown that they're the ultimate cup team because to do what they've done to knock out the best England has to offer Chelsea out, Manchester City out, Liverpool out to knock out Paris Saint-Germain as well with all the stars that they have. It's just a Herculean achievement, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, anything can happen in knockout football. We, we know that. But the way in which they've the path in which they, they had to go through, uh, you probably couldn't ask for a tougher route to, to the final and then to actually lift the trophy as well. Um, Liverpool, as we know, were were reasonable favourites there going off around evens odds against just about really and um, you know I've got egg on my face I think in the in the first uh, leg against PSG I, I sort of said to myself this team are not going to win the Champions League um, absolutely no chance and even when they they pulled off the comeback against but you PSG, weren't alone in that you were not alone in that I mean there were even go if you look at the coverage before the final even everybody was saying well they've run into the best team now Liverpool are going to be able to beat them or what have you we were a little bit more measured on the pod ahead of the game saying that we thought it might be a bit tighter than that but we still felt Liverpool would get through so you're certainly not alone in thinking Real Madrid wouldn't win this tournament yeah, and I, that's the thing. You know, we, we you can write off Real Madrid all you like based on those performances against PSG, against Chelsea, against Manchester City. But I think we talked about it, about it earlier in the season. When you actually see the team sheet lining up for these massive matches, the experience and the the capability, the the ability in that squad is is still second to none. And you know, even if you sort of identify weak links, there's still enough quality elsewhere to to make up for that. And you know, I think uh, there's been several memorable moments throughout that Champions League run, but uh, someone like Luka Modric, who's pushing what, 38, 37 at the moment, he still looks like he's 21, the way he sort of whizzes around the pitch. And, um, you know, there's there's so many players, you know, Karen Benzema, Thibaut Courtois, just absolutely incredible. But um, I understand, you know, I, I like my data, I like my stats, and it, it does beg a belief, really, really our Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's still You've incredible. You've never mentioned that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you look at the XG, and, and Jake would tell you in, in sort of detail, really, how remarkable that run has been. And you could probably put it in percentage terms of how likely they were to lift the trophy based on not just their opponents and the odds, but also in terms of how those matches played out. And, 
you know, you just got to take your hat off and applaud to them. I, sometimes people say it's down to fate. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I'm not one to sort of buy into that kind of argument, but uh, whether they deserve to or not, you know, it's absolutely incredible achievement. And that club just is embedded in the Champions League and European Cup. What they've achieved in over the last decade or so is, is truly remarkable. And yeah, I think they're around 18 to 1 at the start of the competition. So you know, fair play to them. Just a, a wonderful achievement against a, what I felt was probably one of the best teams in the world. And so to to do the business on the big stage, you know, you just got to applaud them for that. You've covered the championship a lot for us on our website, betting.betfair.com. That's covered the EFL in detail all the way through the season. Nottingham Forest promoted to the Premier League after a 1-0 win over Huddersfield Town, a controversial win in the end. But I want to focus on Forest's achievement rather than that game. Steve Cooper came in. They were bottom of the table. I know he still had a lot of time and a lot of games to turn that around. That's a hell of an effort for a club that's been trying to get back to that level since 1999. Yeah, tremendous uh, achievement for Forrest and their supporters. They've had a, a lot of sort of rough runs over the last sort of 20 years or so, but um, fantastic day out for them. But yeah, Steve Cooper, you just got to... What an unbelievable job. I actually fancied Forrest anti-post as, as a sort of top six proposition under Chris Hewton, uh, and that was a, a disaster. Just one of those one of those uh, appointments just didn't fit Forrest at all, and they've been through a few of those. But Cooper came in and just simplified things, really, organised the squad and organised his players. And what I think what's quite uh, outstanding, really, is you got someone like Brennan Johnson, who uh, made his name, really, on loan. Uh, during the lower leagues and he's come through and uh, comparing with someone like Lewis Graben, the captain, who uh, was integral really for Forrest over previous years and he's had an injury-blighted season, so barely featured really in the run-in. But someone like Brennan Johnson and and Keenan Davies on loan from Aston Villa have sort of taken over the mantle uh, and really sort of... uh, you know, provided the the impetus really that someone like Joe Lolly and uh, Lewis Graben, who've been key members of the squad in previous years, have barely had a look in really, and it's it's kind of just you know you've got to applaud Steve Cooper for the for the job he's done, not just defensively but also you know being able to freshen up that attack and provide the uh, the brains really behind the operation. And just as soon as they got onto that run, there was a, a serious momentum about them. Um, I saw them quite a fair bit. You know, they're on Sky Sports every other week, but I uh, saw them at first hand as well in the flesh and they are a serious team and I hope they manage to consolidate themselves because they'll be a, a great proposition for the for the Premier League, great support, a great you know away day for, for Premier League supporters too, but um, we'll have to see if they get the investment because uh, you know you look at the defence, Scott McKenna, who I think is capable of playing in the Premier League, but Steve Cook, who has been there with Bournemouth, still you know under 30, I think Cook seems like he's been around the block a few times, but you know, I still think they do need to provide a, a a few new players in key key areas. You know, if they can keep that sort of three defenders together, McKenna, Cook, uh, and Joe Worrell, they've got the fullbacks who can bomb on and, and push on and, and play. But uh, I still think they probably need a, a couple of new additions and whether they've got the funding there to do so. We'll have to wait and see because it is a big leap. We've seen that with Norwich and Watford this year. Uh, probably two disorganised clubs compared to Forest, who have been that disorganised club. But with, with Cooper in charge, I think they've got a, a real opportunity to to consolidate. And, and they'll see what Brentford have achieved uh, and leads previously to them and, and hope that they can do similar. I used to live a few doors down from the city ground, so thrilled to see them back in the top flight. So we've looked back. It's now time to look forward. Let's start with that World Cup qualifying playoff semi-final between Scotland and Ukraine. It was postponed originally uh, because of the war in Ukraine, and it will take place now at Hampton Park on Wednesday. Scotland are the 2.38 favourites in 90 minutes here, Mark. 
But there's a lot going on psychologically. Andy Robertson, the captain of Scotland, has admitted that obviously the neutrals are going to favour Ukraine. All of the sympathy is going to be with Ukraine. There were some people calling for uh, the game to be a buy in Ukraine to just go straight to the World Cup. I think there's a fair few Scots and, uh, and Welshmen who might disagree with that, I have to say. But Scotland have to focus on their own ambitions for that 90 minutes or 120 minutes or whatever it happens to be. And that's quite a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I was thinking about this today, actually. Um, Scotland are a team who traditionally don't tend to thrive under the pressure and expectation, but they kind of, they broke that by qualifying for the Euros, I felt. And I think Steve Clark has added a stronger mindset to the group. And I think the fact that they've got a, a squad full of Premier League players nowadays who have been there and done it. You know, you talked about Andy Robertson then, he's just played in the Champions League final. And this, you know, I know they're missing Kieran Tierney, uh, Nathan Patterson's not been playing regularly, he's been injured quite a lot too. But they have got a squad of players, John McGinn, for example, who are now embedded in the Premier League. They do believe they can be playing at a higher level. And I do believe they probably have broken that ceiling in terms of this is Scotland, we can achieve stuff if we actually you know, have that mentality. But to, to go into a game when the expectation is on your shoulders and, as you say, the neutrals will be on Ukraine's team. Uh, they are playing at Hamden, which stereotypically or, or traditionally, whichever way you want to say it, is is a tough place to go. But, you know, this this is a tricky game, uh, no doubt about it. And they'll arrive in good form. I think they're unbeaten in eight games. Um, they won six on the spin during the qualifiers, uh, which was their best run of results in competitive games since the 1930s. There is a bit of momentum around Scotland at the minute. Defensively, they've looked pretty good. But Tierney's absence is a blow. Uh, one of their sort of, you possibly say, you know, the level blow world class. But I think Clark will have a plan. Uh, he tends to stick towards his, his sort of three-man defence now with with high-flying fullbacks. And uh, the issue I have really with Scotland at the minute is the fact they don't score enough goals. Uh, and I think going forward is is possibly their weak link. Uh, do they have enough reliable forwards? I know Shay Adams has provided a, uh, an impetus to that forward line in recent, recent months, really. But Lyndon Dykes, who's been... You know, part of the furniture there for for a while now. He's had a really injury disrupted year with QPR. Hasn't found his form. Ryan Christie's not that type of forward. Ross Stewart's been playing in a third tier. So, if you look back over their recent matches, I think they've only scored more than a single goal in, in four of the last thirteen, and scored more than twice in just one of those as well. So, they have been quite reliant on all that, that defence. Um, but yeah, it's very difficult to sort of know what to expect from Ukraine though as well because. Obviously, there's a situation going on behind the scenes there. Um, they've got a new coach who's worked wonders, really, with the youth setups there. He won the Under-20 World Cup with the... So he'll, he'll be well-known to the squad, but um, they've had to decamp to Slovenia. Uh, they've been playing exhibition games to try and you know get uh, get some sort of competitive action. In, it's not competitive action, but some sort of action in there. You know, in, in terms of preparation, but you have to assume they're going to be underprepared, possibly undercooked, but... Um, you know, it's quite easy to sort of say Ukraine in their current state will be um, below their best. But I sometimes feel these kind of situations can galvanise a team and inspire them. Um, and I think I've read plenty of stories now about this squad and, and the head coach have, have talked about as a collective and individually whether they should be at home uh, and fighting for their country or whether they should be competing uh, on the football side of things. But football is the number one sport in Ukraine and they believe that the population wants them to be out here. Uh, and hopefully to try and pull off a bit of a pull off a bit of a fairy tale, really. So it's such yeah. a platform as well, though, isn't it, Mark? We've we've heard. I mean, Alexander Zinchenko's just won the Premier League with Manchester City. I think he put the Ukrainian flag around the trophy, didn't he? And he gave a very kind of impassioned speech about his country. 
we saw Andrew Yarmolenko uh, score that important goal for West Ham. He scored an important goal in the Premier League, then did the same in the Europa League. And that's given him the platform to talk about what's going on in his country. So they, as ambassadors, those guys have done a terrific job. But I guess what they've also done in those actions, Inchenko winning the league and, and Yarmolenko, even though he's now parted company with West Ham, scoring some important goals, They've shown that they can make a tangible effect on the field as well as off it. Yeah, and you know we've not had this kind of situation too often, thankfully, in the world or particularly European football to compare it with. But I know in certain other situations when individuals have been through you know real trauma in their personal life, uh, it can go one of two ways. You know, easily some players can can find it too much to, to try and focus on football, but others will be absolutely inspired, know that once they get across those lines, it's all about football, the focus is on the match in hand, and it acts as a bit of a, an escape, if you like. And um, so, you know, it's impossible to say how Ukraine will be um, because of what's going on. It might well act as a catalyst and an, and an inspiration, but it might well go the other way. It, it, I think that's the danger, really, for Scotland to be, to just assume that Ukraine might not be at the best here because... Because of what's going on back home, it's, it, this is a really dangerous game for them. But um, you know, the magnitude of the match, a, a one-off playoff tie, it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be quite competitive, probably low scoring, and, and that's what the market expects. Really, I think the goal line's set around, uh, or the goal expectations around two point two, which I think is probably fair enough considering Scotland's strength probably isn't in the final third. Ukraine's might well be, um, but. Um, you know, it, I think Scotland. I think ten of the last fourteen games now have featured under two and a half goals. And if you look at the the exchange unders is around one point six one. So you know, <laughs> you you got to be sort of brave to be back in those kind of prices. But um, I've got a feeling this game might go the distance. Um, so you know, the draw comes into play when the goal expectancy is low. Um, it's three point zero five for the draw, which is quite a, a short price for the draw. Um, so you can boost that quite simply by backing the the draw and under two and a half goals on the sportsbook at five to two, which is you know three point five. I think that's a reasonable increase on the three point zero five to three point five. You're effectively backing nil nil and one one, and this game to go to extra time, and it just rules out the two two and the three three, which I think is unlikely considering what's at stake here. Um, four of Ukraine's last six actually ended 1-1, which is, yeah, I'm not going to read too much into that. It's a very small sample, but um, I think they can be competitive. I think they have got plenty of quality, plenty of ability in that squad. We saw in the Euros that they can be a tough nut to crack for certain teams. I know England sort of blew them away, but Ukraine looked down on their feet going into that, that tie. But um, yeah, I, I do fancy Scotland, but um, not enough at the prices. Uh, as I said, the, the issues in the final third would probably draw me away from them and I just think Ukraine are dangerous enough the squad's got enough ability to, to cause them problems and potentially take this game to extra time so that was the price that stuck out to me so if you do, do go for something like that it's worth bearing in mind that our fantastic Akers and Bet Builders offer is running every day bet £10 on Akers or Bet Builders and receive a £2 free bet to use on Akers or Bet Builders T's and C's are in the description 18 plus see gambleaware.org now, whoever wins that semi-final will then face Wales in Cardiff at the weekend. Wales will look to sharpen up for the game with the Nations League game in Poland in midweek. The Poles are the odds-on favourites here. Mark, I guess there's an argument to say that Wales will be a bit distracted because this is kind of, you know, it, it's such an enormous game, that World Cup playoff. The chance to reach the World Cup for the first time since 1958 
I mean, you wouldn't be human if you weren't thinking about that going into this game against Poland because nobody wants to be injured. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, immediately when I looked at the prices, I thought, geez, Poland, Poland is too short for me here. And then you obviously you, you step back and realise what's what's at stake here from a Welsh perspective and it, you can kind of understand the price. But um, I think from a Polish perspective, they've had a, a pretty tumultuous period as well themselves, disappointed in the Euros. There was a feeling that Paolo Sosa was never really committed to the cause or, or settled into that job and you know losing that last World Strange Cup. appointment that, wasn't it? It was quite <laughs> left field at the time and it just didn't work. Yeah, did it? it never looked like it would fit or was the right fit. And you know, Paolo Sosa's kind of been jumping all over Europe really at jobs and leaving pretty pretty abruptly and he did so again uh, after that World Cup qualifier which proved pretty cross costly uh, he was criticized immensely by the Polish FA I think it was quite a costly appointment for them so they're starting or in the middle of a, kind of a new era themselves there's never really been a huge consistency around Poland in recent years um, key players are aging unable to really to find top form as well so I've no real desire to back Poland even though what's going on behind the scenes with Wales as well. You know, Ryan Giggs, that, that issue is still sort of festering. Um, but, you know, take him out of the equation. Rob Page has stepped in there and kind of done, for me, a, a pretty decent job of just kind of keeping things ticking over, really. And they've been a really consistent outfit over the years, over the last sort of four, six years now. There's been continuity, consistency, which I think can count for a huge amount in international football. There's Huge amounts of experience in that squad that they've selected. Um, they are missing a few, but it sounds like they've been preparing pretty well in Portugal. But as you say, you know, there's bigger fish to fry here from a Welsh perspective. So that playoff is absolutely gigantic and it's really difficult to back them with any sort of um, you know, confidence, really, until we see the team sheets. And even then, I think as a player, naturally, you'll be looking elsewhere and that's going to be influencing that price on Poland too. So I've no real desire to back either team here. And I thought... Um, you know, I appreciate goals aren't necessarily always um, an option really in Wales games. They tend to be pretty tight and pretty consistent in what they do defensively. But I think a rotated team, well, I think we're right to assume it probably will be rotated. Uh, I thought both teams to score was a, an option here at 2.1, uh, quite a big price. Um, Poland have kept three clean sheets in 19. They've scored in the last 18. Uh, BTTS has been the right option in 14 of those 18. Um, I appreciate a lot of that will come under Sosa and they're now a different fish. But defensively, if you look at the personnel, doesn't fill you with too much confidence. You know, Carol Glick is still there and, and still highly thought of as well. And he's been playing second tier football in Italy. Um, yet, on the other hand, in the final third, uh, Robert Lewandowski. So, you know, you don't need to say too much more than that, really. So, um, yeah, I think Wales playing Wednesday before Sunday's mega match is, is the key influence here in terms of the prices. But I thought goals were probably a, a little bit bigger than I expected. And Wales could actually end up in the Guinness Book of Records by the end of the week because they're using the most amount of cotton wool anybody's ever used to <laughs> wrap up Gareth Bale before that game on Sunday. Uh, now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out for a bet, so Betfair is now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds, over-under, and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. England start their Nations League campaign in Hungary on Saturday. They're in an in incredibly tough group uh, at the top level, which features Italy and Germany. Mark, that's actually going to work out really well for England, isn't it? Because the way the Nations League has, has changed friendlies completely, obviously England would expect to play top teams every so often, but now it's kind of taken out of their hands who they do play. So 
coming up against Italy, coming up against Germany with the World Cup later this year, it's perfect, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And I think the schedule, even for the Nations League, is working in their favour. Uh, going to Budapest in the, in the first game, which is never going to be easy. I know England romped to, to a 4-0 there in the World Cup qualifiers, but um, as Hungary showed in, in the Euros, they can be a diff- difficult uh, beast to beat on their own backyard. Um, and then to play Germany and Italy back-to-back before playing Hungary again, I think it gives Gareth Southgate a nice opportunity to potentially try a few things in, in the first and the last of those games. Uh, probably field close to his best eleven uh, in the big matches against Germany and Italy, and I know there's a few players who are who are missing for obvious reasons. You know, Jordan Henderson has been allowed the, the summer off after a really hectic schedule with with Liverpool. But fair play to Southgate. I think he must have listened to the show um, in previous months because I think we've all been calling for for Kaya Tomori yes, and um, at last, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and Tammy Abraham as well um, to to earn a place and. You know, I'm so happy for those guys. They've embraced Italian life and a big move for guys those age to, to move away from the Premier League and, and try and establish themselves elsewhere. And I think Tamori especially, um, I think most people have probably seen the, the clip of him uh, speaking Italian in a press conference, uh, just looks so at home and so at home on the pitch as well in what was a, a really rock solid defence for Milan, which was the, the bedrock really for their title success. And Tamori was absolutely exceptional. Since he's moved to Italian football, um, he settled superbly. And and Tammy Abraham as well. I know he took a bit of persuading to, to move to Syria, but uh, Jose Mourinho was on the phone and told him how much uh, of a key player he would be for him and uh, how true that's been. He's, he's ended the t- ended the season with a with a title, been uh, absolutely fantastic in Italian football and delighted for those guys. And I think it was Stinch actually who said, you know, outside of Harry Kane, you know, Abraham could well be the option off the bench if England need to change a game. And well, who 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 would you put ahead of him? I mean, if you look at this season's work, he is clearly the number two, isn't he? At this stage, has to be, has to be. But I think that's that's a puzzling thing. I wondered why Southgate took so long to to give him his opportunity. If he's got different ideas about how he's going to play, or if he's going to change the systems, change the shape, I'm not really sure. But um, I guess when you have got someone like Jared Bowen, I know he was offered something completely different, but he's now been given a call up as well and fully deserved. I think it was eighteen goals and thirteen assists for West Ham, which is yeah, so so impressive. Uh, the Big kind game of player as well, Jared Bowen, isn't he? You know, you look at yeah. some of the performance against City. He looked completely at home in a game of that magnitude. Some of the Europa League games, he's really showed up, and that's quite a good sign for international football, isn't it? Yeah, tremendous. And I even think Bowen's. It sounds silly, but might even still be underrated because he's playing for West Ham. I think he's one of those players who could well step up and, and sort of flourish even further if he was to be signed by a, a top six team. But um, yeah, the, the, the one when I was a little bit disappointed, I mean, I'm not an England supporter, but um, to see Connor Cody in the squad ahead of someone like Eric Dyer, uh, I think Southgate hinted that Dyer might be left out because he's had a, a, a long season. I don't think that's really been the case. I think he's been in and out of the team for Tottenham uh, in the early seasons under Nuno, was injured as well. But since Conte's come in, he's been exceptional, really. And I think he should be long-term one of the sort of key possible players to, to step into that defensive required. There's versatility in what he's able to do in terms of playing in midfield if necessary. I know there's other options elsewhere. It'll be better for him. But I think if you're performing to the level that Dyer has been performing under a coach like Conte, that probably says something really so... A little bit disappointed for him whether Southgate was was right in that regard. I think you know I don't think he needed a rest. So um, yeah, but uh, I think the the beauty for English supporters is there's so many options now. Um, look at the players who've missed out on the squad now for, for the summer. It's you know, I know they've not had the greatest of seasons, but the ability or or, or the level that they can get to is quite frightening really. And the amount of options it's 
provides a, a bit of a problem now for Southgate ahead of the, the World Cup and having to sort of whittle down that squad really because yeah it's quite exciting I guess for an England supporter. England 1.41 to win that game in Hungary. Uh, I mean the, the, what can you do with that to, to boost it to something uh, acceptable or should you? Do, can Hungary dig in and, and make this more awkward than we think? England have outclassed them before. Yeah, so in those qualifiers, we got two different performances, really, didn't we? England swiped them aside in Budapest, and at Wembley, it was a, it was a one-one draw. And Southgate actually fielded quite an attacking team, and it just didn't really work. You know, normally the fans are sort of asking for a more forward-thinking eleven. He's normally quite conservative. He did that against Hungary in Wembley, and it it just kind of fell flat. I know Hungary's goal was a penalty, but England didn't really. Um, threatened too often. I think they only managed 11 shots in, in that match, which is you know, well below par when you're playing at home against Hungary. But in terms of a price, I don't think there's anything major wrong with England being that price. Um, uh, they went off a similar price in those World Cup qualifiers. If you look back to the Euros, France are 1.32, uh, Portugal are 1.5 in Budapest. So England pretty much slap bang in the middle there. So I think that's fair enough. Um, I wouldn't want to make a move until I know more about the team news, more about how he's going to sort of set up here. Because if he does go with a strong team, England to win to nil has been pretty profitable for people who've got the the minerals to really go in with a bet like that. I know it's not the most uh, enjoyable bet to cheer on. You know, one goal it might be a deflection or a long range effort or or a penalty can can scupper you early doors. But England have registered registered clean sheets in sixteen of the last twenty two games. They haven't conceded more than one goal in any of those matches. Uh, and if you go back to October 2019, um, I think they've silenced all of their opponents by three in their 23 wins during 90 minutes, which is you know, 20 wins of 23 have been to nil, which is pretty exceptional, really. And um, I kind of go back to the game in Budapest and, and England outclassed Hungary quite quite considerably, really. So, um, yeah, I'd be waiting a little bit more to, to hear the team news. Southgate's press conference, he might be a bit more revealing in his ideas of selection, but um as I said, the, the schedule has been reasonably kind here. You, you kind of open Hungary and Budapest before playing two really difficult matches. So I'd expect some level of rotation here and that would probably ward me off that a little bit, but uh, I'll probably commit a bit further down the line. Well, we will have a show later in the week. We'll look at that England game in a bit more detail as well as all of the other uh, Nations League games. And we've got that World Cup qualifying final as well between Wales and either Scotland or Ukraine. But before we go from this show, you have a glamorous pick for us from the Nations League. This is the usual Mark O'Hare level <laughs> of glamour we've got coming up for you here. Yeah, um, I was looking into the Israel game against Iceland. Of course you were. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> um, I had an idea to, to possibly back something Israel Israel or something goals-based. Um, Iceland have regressed a lot in the past 18 months, They've two years awful, or so. They've been awful, haven't um, they? Absolutely atrocious really. when you look at their results. Yeah, it's been it's been bleak, really. And possibly you could say they're going back to the level you'd expect them to be Um with the, the player base that they have available to them. But it's been difficult. But Israel have had their own sort of troubles in terms of trying to find some level of consistency. But what's been you know, great for punters, really, is just their their, their goals um, goals and their matches, really. 11 of the last 12 have gone over to and a half. Uh, nine of the last 13 have seen both teams scoring. But Israel themselves have scored twice or more in nine of the last 12. And the repeat is 2.2 on the sports book, um, which I think is well within their range. However, um 
Aaron Zahavi um, is injured. He's, he'll be missing. Um, I think most football fans will have heard of Zahavi because of the exploits for Israel during the Nations League and, and qualifiers, whether Euros or, or the Worlds. He just tends to turn up for the national team, 33 goals and 70 caps. So he is a blow, um, but I don't think that's going to completely derail them. Uh, if you look at their XG outputs over the last 18 months against you know, considerably decent opposition um, to the kind of level that they're going to be playing against Iceland. They've been pretty good for a while. And, you know, Leo Bardas had a decent season with Celtic and scored goals in the under-21s. Uh, Sean Weissman has been, you know, he's quite a rugged option up front um, for via the lid over the past two years. But um, a player that you'll know pretty well, uh, De Boer, uh, Munis De Boer. Yeah. I think that's the right way to pronounce yeah. his name. Not had the greatest season with Hoffenheim in terms of goal scoring, uh, but he will be now the main man for Israel. He's 2.88 to score. Now, Israel are in for about 1.6 goals in this game. Um, as I said, they're, they're odds against a score twice or more, which I think is a, a nice price. But De Boer will now be on penalties, and he has really shown up for Israel over the last 18 months. Overall, it's 15 goals and 37 caps, but eight of those have come since the start of 2021. Eight goals and 10 appearances during that time. The only games he's failed to score in uh, were away to Germany and Denmark, which you'd say, fair enough. Uh, he scored in his last four at home. As I say, he's on penalties now and up against an Iceland defence, which has dropped dramatically um, since their last major tournament appearance. Uh, three wins in two years. Uh, two of those were against Liechtenstein. The other was against the Faroe Islands. They've lost 14 and 23 since the start of the, the pandemic, really. Um, they kept three clean sheets in that sequence. But if you look at their squad, um, which was pretty consistent throughout uh, you know, their, their sort of wonder years, if you like, but their first choice goalkeeper is retired. Uh, three prominent defenders have moved on. Uh, Goodmundson is injured. Gunnarsson has been rested from the squad. Uh, and if you look at the, the, the roster, it's just so thin on experience and top-level ability. Only three players are playing in Europe's top five leagues this season. Two of them have suffered relegation from Serie A and barely featured, really, um, for Genoa and uh, Venezia. So you're basically looking at one sort of player playing in the, in the top leagues, really. So, yeah, I don't trust Israel as an odds-on shot. I think they are a reasonable shout to score twice or more, but I think the, the better option, the better value is to back De Boer at 2.88 just to score at any time. I think you're getting 10-1 to 1 on him to score twice or more as well, which wouldn't be the worst bet in the world. No, I think that De Boer shout's great because if you look at him at Hoffenheim, you'd look at maybe his goal output and think, oh, he doesn't score very often. But he doesn't start very often, quite frankly, because you've mm. got Kramaric, who's the main man at Hoffenheim, who's always going to start ahead of him. And then they kind of rotate. Jorginho Ruter plays, Yilas Bebu plays. So it's been quite tough for De Boer to get any kind of rhythm. But when he knows he's one of the main men with Israel, he tends to shine and tends to score. So I think that's a, a fantastic bet. Mark O'Hare looking at Israel's XG output so you don't <laughs> have to. That's all we have time for on this international edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. We've got loads of coverage of the internationals on our website, betting.betfair.com. And as I say, we'll have another show later this week looking at some of the Nations League games and that World Cup qualifying playoff final from Mark and from me. It's goodbye, family.